Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to this edition of the Bike Radar Podcast. Today, I am joined by Rob Weaver, our technical editor-in-chief, and Warren Rossiter, our senior road technical editor, both stalwarts of the bike testing scene. Now, that's going to be key in a minute when you find out what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Just briefly, I'm Bike Radar's technical editor, so quite a few rungs beneath these two legends who I am with today. That's not true. Um, <laughs> so, uh, on that note, Rob, what, what have you been up to, and how are you, and uh, what's what's going on? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm actually. Uh, I've been back from the Stone King Rally. Uh, I got back a week a week ago yesterday, in fact. So, um, yeah, had a bit of time to recover from that because it's uh, it's a pretty grueling event, but I had an amazing time. Epic scenery, rode with one of your mates. Yeah. Lyle. Yeah, Lyle. Lyle Hislop. What a legend. Yeah. He's the yeah. Greg, Greg, Minar's, Greg Minar's mechanic, downhill mountain bike world champions mechanic. Seriously tall. Yes, he is. Lovely very guy. Tall. Very funny. Yeah. Very tall. Insane accent as well. He's He comes from um, Galashiels in the in the Scottish borders. Uh, sorry, not Galashiels, Dumfries. He's going to kill me for that, uh, which isn't even in the Scottish borders. It's in Dumfries and Galloway. So uh, <laughs> I've got all my facts wrong, but... Um, yeah, and, and then he's got uh, like kind of a Mancunian sort of northern Sheffieldy kind of funny accent thing going on there. So uh, well, he he sounds like uh, Josh Bryson's brother, basically. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, but, a great guy, really cool guy. Yeah, and and um, there's a big group of us, and we had a we had a lot of fun rolling around. Big days. I think the longest we did was uh, thirteen and a half hours. Out in the hills, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, quite substantial at times. Probably because we were going so steady, but um, we had we had a great time. Lots of laughs. Was it a case of tortoise and the hare? Did you win the race? As the tortoises, tortoise. <laughs> no, in the old man category, I got fifth place. So that's good. Podium. <laughs> Podium. Yeah. Did you get yeah. a, a mini bar size bottle of champagne to spray for that one? <laughs> I had I had a full size one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I guess it might have been mini size. I'm mini size, so <laughs> it depends who's holding it. If Lyle's holding it, it's probably uh, straight out of the mini bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That sounds sounds pretty epic. So, for those that don't know, the Stone King Rally is a a point to point stage race um, that's pretty pretty epic in its proportions, isn't it? Um, yeah. Six days, twenty four time stages. Yeah. Um, and I think. No matter what we had on the route cards, Ash, um, I think we'd sort of underplay it a little bit. You know, if it said we had 1,800 metres of climbing in the chances are you're going to do at least 2,000. Perfect. And we had Perfect. a few of those days. It were pretty big. 
That's just what you want. That's exactly what you want. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think this podcast is going out sometime in August. So um, hopefully there'll be something on Bike Radar, maybe an MBUK magazine um, yep. on, on the Stone King Rally, maybe by then or in the very near future. Um, yeah, so we've got, a, we've got a feature going into MBUK just about um, the general experience, what it's like, where you're riding, who you're riding with and stuff like that, and then a bit on bike setup. And then I'll do a, basically a bike check on the bike I rode for Bike Radar nice. and all the kit I carried in my pack. Which was Which substantial. A lot of snacks, I suspect. Oh my gosh, I've never eaten so much energy stuff in my life. I felt <laughs> ill. <laughs> yeah, Anything definitely. Anything to keep going. Yeah, uh, other nutrition uh, wisely recommended, I think. Yes. Great. And uh, how about you, Warren? Have you been up to uh, anything as exciting as Rob's uh, Stone King Stone King Rally? No, certainly not. But I guess um, the one thing is this kind of after what two years of of being stuck in sunny Wiltshire um finally started traveling again so I went out to Switzerland to see BMC um with their new e-road bike which um was quite impressive and rode most of stage three of the tour of Switzerland on it um oh, nice. I really really impressed which was which was really good fun I was back for I think a day and a bit and then I was straight out to Indianapolis to see the guys at Zip um about something I can't talk about yet. Ooh. And then after that, I went I went down to Chicago um, to get the grand tour of SRAM's swanky offices, um, which was really, really intriguing. It's great, though, when you've got a massive open plan office in the Google building, but um, aside from your walkway, there's a test track that goes right around the office inside. Oh, nice. So so if you're a bit bored, you just grab a bike and go for a ride around the office. And, hey, and it's how does not, that work? It's, and, it's, and it's not frowned upon. <laughs> right, blimey. Well, what, have they got like... Um, Banked, banked walls up the windows or something. You just, you just riding up the sides of the. Sheet <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's quite interesting. You know, it's not quite that elaborate, but um, um, it it does look like a, a very cool place to work, to be honest. Um, and then I got back from that and complete change of pace. I went camping in Dartmoor at a place where I had no phone signal and no internet, which was joyous. I have to say. Ooh. Yeah, deconnect, disconnect, sorry. Stepping out the matrix. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, so uh, Zip, I I guess we can, uh, we we won't talk too much about it. I mean, I I genuinely don't know what it is. Um, I mean, Zip are are famous for their wheels, so I guess that maybe is a fair assumption. Um, Warren can neither confirm nor deny that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that sounds cool. So, uh, brilliant. Okay. So, what what have you been doing? Oh my god! I, I, the list is so long, and my palms so sweaty that I don't even know. <laughs> it's, I, I feel like um, well, You're a broken I, I, man. I, I think that the, the next thing I'm going to be doing is light testing. So we're 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 into July now. We're we're recording this on the 12th of July. So we're we're well past the summer solstice, and the sun is currently setting here at 21:51, according to my watch. Um, which, you know, means that lights testing starts probably around about midnight. Um, so that's really, really useful. Um, <laughs> uh, j- just to get your, you, our dear, dear listeners, readers, consumers, watchers, um, the best lights tests in the business ready for when you actually want to go night riding, which is probably sometime in October, I suspect. Um, Good work, man. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, so that, that's where we're at. So that's, that's great. Um, and, and talking of all this testing, it actually um, brings us on very nicely to to today's topic. And uh, you know, I'm I'm glad both of you guys could could join me. You, you certainly have quite a few years' experience between you. Um, that's definitely not meant to be even remotely offensive. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're actually going to be talking about how we test a bike today. Um, and I guess maybe we could extend that to products. I, I don't know. See, see how we get on, but. Let's focus on 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 bikes for the time being, because um, it you know it's uh, it's an interesting procedure, and I'm sure there are loads of people out there who want to know. Um, you know, I suspect there are quite a few misconceptions that um, you know we get our our backhanders, our our checks in the post to to review bikes, and the, oh yeah, that one's five stars. Or how how much did we get gifted? Well, that doesn't happen. I can clear that up immediately. Um, I guess I guess let's start at the beginning, shall we? Who who, uh, who, who kind of knows where the beginning is? Because I'm not sure I do today. 
Well, I guess, it, you know, you have to sort of, when you're thinking about testing bikes, you have to sort of start at the, the very beginning of the process. And that's, um, you know, at the start of the year. I mean, it's quite timely because, you know, once I finish this podcast, I've got to pack quickly and drive to the airport to head out to Eurobike. Um, you know, the probably still the world's biggest bike show. Um, and it's where you kind of see where the new trends are coming, what's happening in the next year. So once we've done all that and we've done all the launches, we'll we'll sit down and we'll discuss and we'll we'll basically work out a plan for the year on making sure we're hitting those key bikes that that people are going to want to read about or want to buy. Um so the actual testing procedure starts starts way before you've ever seen anything in the you know in the metal or in the flesh as it were. Um once we've done that then you know there's a big uh, sort of period of research so you're going out there you're looking at pricing you're looking at spec levels you're looking at you know um obviously you've got to look at all the real big boys because that's what's most available but then you can't ignore those smaller brands that are doing really funky interesting things um uh, i mean that's from my side of things i don't know you know we, with you guys you've got so much more complexity in the in the different genres of bike you have to cover um is it a similar thing for you yeah um but obviously just like you the the planning's very similar you know we look at everything from sort of seasonality through to trends and, and whether we're going to be grouping bikes together as a test you know so head-to-head four bikes against each other whether we'll do a head-to-head so just the two or whether we just need to do them as a standalone and um i guess yeah once we've sorted that stuff out it's a case of um working through those groups and making sure we're we're kind of covering off a broad enough range so we'll do everything from cross-country hardtails through to you know full-on downhill race bikes that you could you know jump on and race at world cup level if you wanted to or if you're good enough to so well i mean i guess it's getting more complicated for you now more more sort of genres and subgenres within the road market you know gravels sort of expanded you've got gravel race and then bike packing and stuff like that got so, aero yeah. gravel even and aero bike packing i think we saw the other day there was a an aero bike packing bike um, <laughs> which is a new one <laughs> so it's getting just as hard well, guess, you know what's <laughs> yeah it is yeah 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 it definitely is i think you know and that one it comes down to the crux of of that choice thing but i think that also that's when you sort of getting into the actual testing of a bike because we all have our own, you know, um, uh, certain sort of peccadilloes, the things that we really love in, in the sort of bikes we ride. But I always think one of the core elements of, especially when you have to test such a kind of broad church of stuff like we do, um, is getting yourself into the mindset to test that bike. You know, there's one of the things I particularly hate is if I read a review of a bike where the tester obviously doesn't like that style of bike, it's kind of been forced upon them. And you can just you can see it bleeding off the page or off the screen that they came into this with a bias. You know, it's like immediately it's like oh, I don't like city bikes, so this is rubbish. And it's like, well, hang on, put yourself in the mindset of of the person that wants to buy that, and just be enthusiastic about everything you ride. Because well, let's face it, we get paid to ride bikes. There's nothing better in the world than that. Yeah, <laughs> you're totally right. You really do have to focus on what it's intended for and what it you know what it should be good at what it, you know maybe where it falls short and 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 yeah you're you're completely right and it's quite um i would say it's fairly obvious like you said when you do read those things if people aren't necessarily into it or that maybe don't understand exactly where that bike is pitched yeah yeah, yeah absolutely like you know i guess the example spring to mind would be someone reviewing a time trial bike on a hill climb or taking a cross-country mountain bike on a downhill track and you know you, you kind of you have to look at what the manufacturer is saying the bike should be good at and whether it actually achieves those things and then how it fits within the category of all of the other bikes that you've ever ridden um and, and this is one thing that, that you guys have have in absolute abundance is a massive uh, back catalogue of testing experience so that you know you, you can quite easily and quickly turn around and say actually this bike is really good or it's really bad because you have such a huge amount of context in from, from your experience. Um, you know, and a, a guy, guy Kesteven here springs to mind when he is opening gambit of his videos is, you know, my name's Guy Kesteven and I've been a professional bike tester for 25 years. Um, 
and you know you, you guys are kind of in a similar boat having that much experience there is it's it's essential it's absolutely essential isn't it i think so i think what yeah i mean it massively helps and it also helps to make the process that bit more efficient because um you know you can end up down some kind of um rabbit hole getting lost trying to chase a tail or looking for whether it's settings or setup or whatever it might be but you know being able to just okay you know the last bike that this brand bought out did this so all i need to do is tweak this and that will you know change everything and it does make life a lot easier in that regard um back to what we were saying just before i was just thinking about i think probably the most obvious thing when when you put testers on bikes that are maybe really cheap entry-level bikes that is probably the most obvious when they really dislike a bike and yeah if they can't ride it down their favorite downhill tracker at forced to bits in two days then you know people get the hump about it but it is trying to remember okay whoever's going to buy this bike's probably at most going to ride a blue run so they're going to be taking it pretty steady. And it's like Warren said, it's kind of putting yourself in the buyer's shoes and trying mm. to eke out all the detail from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like you guys are uh, chameleons or uh, is it c- cuttlefish that, that change color, that shimmer? Um, I, th- I wish I, think, I could do that. Yeah, I think c- cuttlefish are more <laughs> interesting than chameleons in my eyes anyway. Um, <laughs> maybe even octopuses, I, I don't know. But um, with all Neither are great looking, so I'm not sure where you're going with this. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, to try and redeem myself from being fired, uh, P45 in the post, um, you know, you guys have, have so many facets and so many different things that you, you know, that, that you're thinking of when you're testing a bike. And, you know, like you said, it goes from the research stage when, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are like me, you have a, an insane spreadsheet with 8 million different bikes that fall into that specific category, whether it's, you know, commuting, cross country, time trial, whatever, road, endurance, enduro. And you're kind of looking at all of these different brands, bikes, and you're working out which ones are the most popular, which ones are the most, you know, like the craziest, the wackiest, because it's, it's all well and good testing the Vetus, the you know, the, the popular bikes, the new proof, the giant, the Trek, the specialized, whatever. But like Warren said earlier, you might actually miss something that's genuinely really interesting and, and really worth presenting to, you know, to, to, to our readers. Yeah, totally. And I think it's, it's really good in the sense that we're not um, beholden to the people that advertise. So we don't have to include X, Y, Z, we, you know, if if a bike piques our interest and we think they've got something special, whether that's a a tiny British brand, you know, being made in a shed, which you know, like Starling started, and we covered them from the outset, pretty much, um, through to you know the the big players, it's it's kind of down to us. We're the ones sort of forming these tests. I mean, don't get me wrong; in the minute, it's kind of like whatever we can get because there's no bikes, but. <laughs> But yeah, in the the ideal scenario is that we pick the most exciting bikes for that test, and and the most appropriate as well. Whether that's based on price spec, like Warren said, intent is obviously key, and and that's when obviously yeah you start those conversations with those brands, you call those bikes in, and then it's when you get down to the hands-on nitty-gritty stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, which is, I think, what we'll probably come on to next. So we've chosen our however many bikes it may be for the test, you know, one, two, three, four, five, however many. The bikes have arrived. What's next? You know, you can't just go out and ride on it, can you? I mean, that would that would be crazy. Um, there's a whole there's a whole process there that, that you know, we all have to go through. Um, where does it begin? Rob. <gasps> oh, I thought you were going to say Warren. Um, for me... <laughs> Um, I will probably spend a day kind of just getting setups right. It depends, you know, if it's bikes you've never ridden before or, or you know, models that you haven't touched before. Sometimes you do have to spend a bit of time scratching your head and just riding the same bit of trail over and over again just to try and um, get the settings right before you're really starting to push things on. Um, 
if it's models maybe you've touched on before i mean i've got notebooks that go back i don't know how many years with loads of stuff everything from the geometry measurements to you know bolt pressures shock pressures how much sag i would run stuff like that um so you can kind of you know refer back to that or it might be that um a brand is keen for you to try specific base settings you know they've worked really hard on that and therefore you plug those in and, and give it a try and and, and yes, sort of it's always an there. interesting interesting place to start with um with recommended settings yeah because um, you know sometimes they're absolutely bang on the money and other times my gosh they are so wrong for for you know a multitude of reasons whether that be your own personal preference or indeed what you think the bike is designed for um you know the, the deviation potential there is is huge um sometimes yeah. you're like whoa lipping out why have they done that and and with suspension is you know complex as it is these days you've got you know potentially four different damping adjustments you've got the air spring the air volume all of those things and if you've never touched that fork shock bike before it does you know you do have to allow yourself a bit of time in order to get your head around the initial setup and then start to try and find settings and i mean even once we found them generally as you become more comfortable on the bike or if the conditions change become faster slower whatever it might be you will tweak them but you have at least got that ballpark that sort of window in which to work in um i mean don't get me started on coil spring suspension because that's a whole nother headache isn't it <laughs> who knows who knows what what rate that spring is who knows well yeah this is it right so yeah there's a level of inaccuracy with a lot of coil springs which makes it hard especially if it's you're jumping 50 pounds in each spring weight and yeah that that certainly becomes tricky and even just measuring your sag if you're by yourself on a coil shock is pretty tricky there's a lot of leaning over thinking you're about to die falling over start again i'm sure there's easier ways to do it maybe i just need more friends <laughs> you could use your kids ebay motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly brake kits led headlights bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. <laughs> you, could, uh, you could get them to stand either side of you and, and prop you up. So there you go. Balanced. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it kind of similar for you, Warren? Do you have like a, a setup kind of day process? What, what do you, how, how do you yeah, begin? Yeah, I mean, it, it, to be honest, the complexity of, of most road and gravel bikes isn't quite so much. So it's really, it's just, you know, the bikes come in, our, our able mechanic will set them up and, and PDI them so that, you know, we check that they're safe to ride. They'll arrive with me and then I'll probably spend a couple of hours um, just getting the getting the ride position right, so getting the stack and the reach and, and all those elements right for, you know, for myself. Um, and then the other thing that I would, you know, say is like, I, I'll pour over the spec that's actually on the bike because most brands websites lie what they say is on that spec list on the website isn't what comes on the bike you know there are part shortages for everything so you know um you, you have to be riding exactly what it, it what is on the bike you know you can't you can't write a review and then just cut and paste the a spec list you know i have yeah that's, I have a, that's a really interesting point yeah. it's a really interesting point isn't I have, it because I, you... I have a lot of so i have a lot of sub editors coming back to me you know when when i, when I put copy in going um the website says it's got these tires on it and I go, well, it absolutely hasn't because, you know, I've ridden the bike, you know, so. <laughs> I can see it from here. Yeah. 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 It's, it's next to me, you know, or, you know, lots of uh, confirming it by taking a photo on your phone. Well, look, here's the bike, here's the wheels, here's the tires. So it's all those elements. So, you know, you, you, you have to ride what's in front of you. You know, uh, it's, a, you know, there are, there are, there are a lot of guys out there that in the, the minute will get a brand new bike or do things like they might change the bar straight away because they don't, like that with the bar or they'll change the saddle for their preferred saddle um i'm not really down with that because i just think you have to test what's in front of you you know this is what if you're going to buy this bike this is what you're getting and now if you're buying that bike and immediately making a raft of changes well should you have bought that bike you know it's that kind of 
you know, and, and you can come away saying, you know, this saddle's not particularly for me. You know, it's one of the things I would change, but you've got to try it. You know, you don't try anything new, then you'll never learn anything new. Um, but then going back to, you know, the suspension sense and things, that's obviously something that's now coming into into gravel in quite a big way. Um, and it's uh, it's been an interesting learning curve for me, really, because I used to test my bikes way back. And by way back, I mean 20 years ago. Um, but in the intervening years, um, you know, my own personal mountain bikes are still about 20 years old. I've never, <clears throat> uh, as I kind of moved away from mountain biking, I, I didn't really keep up with it. I'd love to get a mountain bike now, but I've got no idea what to buy. <laughs> because I, I think I can uh, the, think the, of a, 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 a website there. with uh, a website with loads of reviews on, on mountain bikes. And maybe we could, maybe we could point you <laughs> yes, towards Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> it's not that. It's not, it's not the actual model. It's the genre. I don't know what I want to buy, yeah. you know. Um, every every time I sort of get um, bike curious, shall we say, shall we say, say, say um, there seems to be a new subgenre of mountain bike, and I'm going, do I need that one then, or do I need that? And I I, I find it really difficult to pull the trigger and actually sort of you know uh, lay out any money. Which I actually would say, you know, coming back to that core uh, of testing, I think because we're in the privileged position, we get to write so much stuff all the time. I think you can end up being a bit jaded. You can end up sort of talking about value for money in terms that are insane. You know, I, I, I've certainly, you know, proved copy in years past from, from some of, some of my testers that have talked about a 3,800 pounds to their wheels as being value for money. And I've been, no, not in any place on earth is that value for money. You know, it's uh, that's and, a price of a half decent second hand car. Unless you well, I was going to say, unless you're a Bugatti Veyron or Chiron owner, in, in which case, uh, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I would say on that, you know, what I, I what I always try to do, and you know, this is probably representative if we talk about like the the feature we did about my garage. I have so many bikes. Is I think it's kind of prudent on myself that every couple of years I need to go and buy a bike because I need to know the pain of buying a bike. You can't just exist on just riding stuff for free. You actually literally have to go out and pay real money and and kind of get that buzz of buying something really cool and new, but also get that kind of, Oh God, that's a big chunk. And you know, how do I hide that from the wife? How do I, you know, that sort of thing. Well, you, you begin by stashing cash in your mattress and you slowly build up your mattress <laughs> cash supply. And then no one knows any different once you spent all that money. Because you know it was it was unaccounted yeah. for. It was in the mattress. Well, uh, apart from the fact you no longer need a step to get onto the bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, mattress got a bit soft. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a really interesting point, actually, Warren. I, I kind of hadn't, hadn't thought about that before. Is that you know actually going out and buying a bike is an amazing way to readjust what you think as a bike tester is value for money. Um, you know, that's yeah. Because yeah. it's that you know it's that kind of thing of what we consider you know to be a bike that's like a good value mid-range bike like two and a half thousand quid that's a serious chunk of cash isn't it you know you know if you, if you were buying if you were spending i don't know two and a half thousand quid on a holiday would be a, a decent chunk of money you know so it's it's got a kind of you know i i wouldn't spend two and a half thousand quid on a sofa so you know yeah. it's something that that the whole family uses every day that sort of thing so it's kind of i think we do need to keep in you know just be mindful of of bikes are expensive um mm. they're worth it but they're expensive yeah yeah absolutely and i think um well you know this really well too al but um speaking to guys that works in work in shops and you know they're able to give you insights that we possibly wouldn't get because they're dealing with consumers constantly so they see all sorts of different wear and tear that maybe we won't experience potentially whether that's down to how we ride or simply the limitations around how long we have on that bike so it's always good to get a few insights from those guys they're, they're always really useful yeah absolutely yeah 100 percent. you know okay you, you can test a bike but you can't test a bike for a year because the bike that you've just tested will no longer be on sale so it's kind of you know it's pointless so although we, we could do it you know and it would be great for kind of the long-term the long-term thing you, you're not necessarily picking up on the the derailleur pins that might wear that decrease the shifting after you've ridden three thousand kilometers or you know whatever it may be and i think that's maybe a, a key point about our bike reviews and whilst 
you know, we, we do talk a little bit about the longevity of things and how reliable they are. We, we're focusing very much on their performance. Um, you know, we, we, it's, it's a performance-based review. Um, and that's quite a, you know, it's, it's quite an important thing. And I think that, you know, we, we've managed to whittle it down to that because that's one of the most, that is the most important thing is how does this bicycle perform? Um, because everything wears out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we do have um, most of the team on long-term bikes. And so we can glean some information from their experience on those bikes. Especially, I think it's been it's been really interesting since we've had guys on um, e-bikes. So just getting to grips with not only how the bikes are changing, but how the motors hold up. I mean, you've had a couple of experiences with issues around some stuff. Russ, who's one of our trusted photographers, you know, he's been on e-bikes pretty much since they first re were released. Um, because for him, it's an amazing tool for, you know, carting all his kit around. And he put some serious miles in. And as a result, he's had numerous issues with numerous bikes and numerous motors, which then all gets fed back to us. And and similarly, when we're doing, um, like we're about to we're about to print our dropper post tests, where we circulate an email and everyone you know can just pitch in. So while one person is essentially curating and taking care of actually writing it, and we'll have all those posts and, as you said, be looking at the performance of each one, we can then also wade in saying, oh, you know what, I've had this on for two years, and if you know there's zero problems with it or you know the, the potentially the cable clamps at the at the wrong end and it makes it really inconvenient for setup stuff like that um is invaluable and we're lucky that not only do we have really diligent people working on the magazines and the websites but we've also got a decent sized team who are very experienced and we can draw upon all of that you know um if you or I say, uh, we're looking to buy a road bike. I mean, who are we going to talk to? It'd be straight to Woz because he can give us this, you know, the entire history of whatever brand it is we were considering and he might steer us in a completely different direction. So we're, we're really fortunate in that sense. Like you said, we can't necessarily always go into, you know, full-on durability and uh, how long something's going to be reliable for. But we, we can sort of talk about it if we've had experience on those products for long enough yeah absolutely yeah and there's definite outliers as well where um you know you will get a product for six months for example yeah. and you, you know you will be able to put a massive amount of time in on it and, and then you can begin to talk about things like that um yeah we're kind of like a hive mind maybe we're all uh, <laughs> sharing consciousness or something <laughs> Yeah, I mean, recently I did uh, I did a a, a test of uh, on SRAM's Rival Axis, and, and that was titled a, a Year with Rival because I had it ahead of the launch, and the bike that it came on um, basically is is one of those bikes that I ended up buying, <laughs> and um, and I've you know I put over I think four thousand miles into that group set around all my other testing stuff and i did a report of you know and we photographed it when it was new we photographed it a year later so you can see how the wear and tear had held up and everything and and talked about you know elements of performance and you know it's safe to say it, it performed superbly you know, the only thing it did do was snap a chain on me when i had a 10 mile walk home in the rain but you know I i'll forgive it that you know the chain was probably at the end of its life i probably should have checked it but, that was a per pathetic fallacy uh, perfectly there. Of course, <laughs> of course, it was raining when your chain snapped. Bouncy, <laughs> isn't it? Absolutely yeah. bouncy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Um, so so we kind of we've we've gone out and we've sort of you know we've we've got the bike set up. You know whether that's getting the stacks right or seat angles or suspension, tire pressures, you name it. Um, and I guess then then comes the meat of the testing, right? Um, and, and, you know, well, I, I won't talk for you guys, but I, I guess from my perspective, it's quite focused, um, specific terrain that I ride and loops that try and take in as much, um, variation as possible that that particular bike's designed to do. Um, and I'll really try and hone into, 
the way that it feels and there are there's, there's always like a moment or something that stands out at me that's like really kind of encapsulates the feel of that bike and you'll be like got it that's how that bike feels and it you know it won't necessarily be over a massive period of time but it there'll be a sudden click moment and then you've got a handle on the bike um is, is that kind of similar for you guys or i'd say so i think um as you mentioned it's riding that familiar terrain because you know you've got this big back catalog of experience built up having ridden the same loops and you know assuming you've taken into account the intent of the bike you're riding something that should be applicable to it whether that's you know it's a entry-level trail bike or you know a full-on enduro race bike trying to make sure you're kind of matching the bike with the the terrain uh, the best you can and and as you said if it's something like a trail bike it's almost harder because you've got to tick so many different boxes you know everything from you know a blue trail center lap to maybe a black run at a bike park any and everything in between so yeah you really do need to get the miles in and um get your head around how that bike performs on those different types of terrain but then what's important is um regardless of whether it's a standalone test or not is having another bike similar you know ideally it'd be one you know but if it's not maybe it's part of a four bike test or an eight bike test and you're able to then back to back test them and reference them and you know a big thing i find um, when i do enduro bike of the year for example i try to ride the bikes in different orders as well and so i get the feel of what one bike might be like at the start of the day when i'm feeling fresh and then the next day i might ride it when you know i'm on my very last run and completely fatigued and you know is that bike going to be comfy or is it going to batter me you know is it one that i need to hold on to a muscle down the hill or is it going to be so plush and so for like it doesn't matter how tired i am i can just hold on and hold a line it's it's being able to pick up on those little things and you know i, I guess we've only got to that point just through experimentation and you know you ride on some bikes where you need to be maybe more over the front you know how sustainable is that over the course of a day so you go out and try that it might be that you get i don't know a strange feeling from the front end and you've done everything you can because you know the fork inside out and you've got the settings that you always run on it tires the same wheels are the same on a different bike maybe you change the bar and stem maybe change the grips little things like that that's when it starts to become that's your nitty-gritty that's the time-consuming stuff um it's also the fun bit get your head around it but it's essentially that repetition on familiar trails is what helps to eke out those details yeah absolutely how does, how does that kind of translate to to the kind of road side of things was As it, yeah it's pretty much the same i mean i would say you know if i've if i've got a road bike of whatever whatever flavor you know my first ride will be go out and um and like bury myself for a couple of hours just go as hard as possible just to see how that bike feels um at speed when you uh, and i've got you know plenty of routes around here that i've got some nice technical descents with with some big fast corners and some tight corners and that sort of thing because you want to just understand how controlled that bike will feel when you're when you're really really pushing it hard then i'll probably follow that up with um like a big ride where i'm talking probably you know depending on the bike you know if it's a if it's more of a racy bike i'll probably go out for maybe four and a half five hours if it's a proper endurance bike i'll just go out all day you know i'll try and i'll try and get into to triple mileage figures on it because again you know you when you talk about some sort of like an endurance bike you're talking about comfort but you're talking about comfort at the you know when you're at the very end of fatigue so you want to be out when you're when when you've you know when your, your tanks are emptied when you're starting to cramp when they you know when there's aches and pains brought on from years of sitting on a saddle rather than standing <laughs> upright like a human um, when all those things start to creep in and that's where you really find you know you really find the you know those the, those gems that are out there and that sort of thing and obviously uh, uh, along with that you know you, you're playing with tire pressures you're playing with you're playing with those elements that you can adjust to, to, to improve comfort and 
things like tubeless coming to the road has been a massive game changer in, in that respect that you know that that ride comfort can be something you can really play with now whereas before you were kind of that's the bike and deal with it so um and then you know when you're moving on to say say gravel um um or even endurance bikes you know there are plenty of endurance bikes out there that, that have been designed for you know like like for the cobbles that sort of thing so i'm talking like damani roubaix synapse that sort of thing uh, and riding those you kind of you end up talking about the versatility of those bikes so i'll end up right you know on a middle of a big ride i'll take a short and i'll take a shortcut and take you know five or ten k's of gravel in just to see how, you know are these bikes really that great versatile all-rounder and you know most of them don't let you down you know um and so i i think it's kind of again it's getting into you know and in some instances i think like with the the first generation rebay that had the future shock when i was testing that bike and i had that bike for i think six months ahead of the launch i i was i was talking to the designers i was talking to the engineers and going asking asking the questions like i've done this on it is this what you expected and that sort of thing and i think it's getting and i think that only comes from being like you know like yourselves and um, like like you especially rob is like when you've been in it for so long and when you've been so invested in it it's getting access to the people behind the bike and it's the same when you find a problem you know you can go back to them going this is happening why you know and and, and trying to find solutions and there's nothing better than when you feed something back and then they come back to you and going yeah you're right we've changed that you know because yeah. you, you actually feel like you've done you've done a service <laughs> um and, but I guess with the you know the whole kind of road testing thing, you know, it, it's becoming so wide now. It's becoming you know my my remit is becoming so broad. You know, before all this recent bank of traveling, I was doing um, cycling plus and bike radars, kind of um, urban commute e-bike of the year testing. So that was like a dozen a dozen bikes that I just rotated and rode to the office for you know for my Monday office time and 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 actually you know did whatever those bikes was requested those bikes i had like cargo bikes so i go and do the shopping on it and um i even had an ebmx so i went and rode some skate parks which i haven't done for probably the best part of 15 years <clears throat> that's just what everybody needs a bearded 50 year old man on a big bmx cutting their kids <laughs> up. So, an ebmx an ebmx no less amazing I didn't have to do any didn't have to do any of that pumping nonsense just like just half give a it like half a crank mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. But, you know so again i think it's that whole thing where you've just got to get yourself into into the mindset of the bike you're on uh, and explore the you know e- e- explore that bike to it to its very limits i mean it's a bit like with the the advent of suspension on on gravel bikes i'm finding that i'm riding traditional gravel on those but then i'm exploring kind of um old school mountain bike trails and some old and some old race courses that um you know that that I, I never would before, just to push the limits on those bikes. So, I've got a question for Was. Do you um do you have like a, any key climbs that you sort of repeat on certain types of bike to get a feel for yeah. them? You do, yeah. okay. Yeah, I've got a few. You know, because I'm sort of Wiltshire based, and you get down into the sort of southern Wiltshire. There's there's short steep climbs to which you've got a few twists and turns in. I'm thinking of like you know Bratton Camp at Westbury White Horse. Um, because that's actually got two sides now. You can oh, go up the sure. steep side. <laughs> well, it's, it is good play to riding up and out. Yeah. Yeah. But one side of that is quite a, sh- a shorter, steep, twisty climb, which has got a lot of elevation pitch changes. But then the other side of it is a weirdly arrow straight road. And it's got some real big tarmac ripples down, you know, down through the middle of it. But down there, you can hit. 50 mile an hour easily you know when you're when you're sort of pushing it and then when you're hitting those ripples that's when you find out how stable the bike is because and, and whether your hands are going to blow off the handlebars or not yeah <laughs> yeah that or, or whether it's just going to pitch you into the ditch you know so it, it's kind of you know there are yeah that's just like one instance so I, i'm kind of looking around here that you you have you know, there's quite a lot of um diverse sort of climbs and there is some some good technical stuff around here as well um and of course, you can you know you can go a bit further afield. We're not that far from, yeah, Black Mountains and Wales, or, or you know, head down to. I mean, one of the rides that I tend to do quite a lot in the summer is I basically I ride to the coast. I'll, I'll you know I'll ride down to, to to Bournemouth, 
um, mainly because it's a beautiful right down there, getting them, it's just close to about 100 miles to get to the sea. But then there's a train that you can get back, which uh, is called the Real Ale Trail train. And you can get one ticket and you can stop at three different stops where there's a pub next door to the station. So you can get off that train, go and have a beer, and then catch the next one and follow it through. And it only takes about 40 minutes later, longer than it normally would. All right. So that's it. You know. That's that's my recovery on that ride. That's real bike so, testing right there. Yeah. Real bike testing, yeah. Yeah, three, <laughs> three, three, three pints of real, yeah. Three pints of real ale on the way back. Well, you're making that sound amazing on the roadside stuff. We don't do anything that exciting. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're lucky if we uh, we get to the emergency waitrose before Bike Park Wales and, and oh, yeah. get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting that you ask about was having like a, a specific set of climbs or whatever. There's there's one that kind of I do. Um, mm. It's at the the Glentress tra- Trail Centre on the kind of like the the red, blue, black climb out of the main. Uh, peel car park at the bottom mm. there's a couple of naughty little cut throughs that kind of cut off sections of the trail center but they're mega mega steep um and they're not very long but you can get such a good handle on how a bike feels just by doing this like 20 second section of trail on the climbs whether the front wheel lifts whether there's traction at the back tire whether the suspension's supple whether it bobs and you know that there's so many little nuggets like that, mm. that you can really discern from tiny, tiny amounts of trail that really kind of um, highlight either positives or weaknesses of a bike. Um, and, and then when you're back to back testing, it, it makes it even more like highlighted. Is, you know, you'll ride one bike and okay, you feel like that and you'll be like, oh my God, that felt absolutely mint. It's amazing. You'll get on the next bike and it feels even better. And then suddenly you have to recalibrate your first impressions of the first bike that felt absolutely incredible and mind blowing. You're like, hang on a second. Was that just because, you know, I've not ridden anything else yet today or it was better than everything I've ridden in the past, but then it's not as good as this bike. Um, and it's a real kind of, um, I don't know, you, you know, in uh, arcades, you used to have the betting machines with the horses. Oh, they kind mm. of look a bit like Skelectrix and, you know, you yeah, know yeah. yeah, it kind of feels a bit like that, that, that your winner kind of, you know, jumps ahead at certain moments and then at the last minute pips all the other ones to the post. Oh, um, 100%. You're, you're trying to convey that in your in your reviews it's um yeah it's exciting stuff and that's why it's so important to go and ride wide variety trails and then also potentially revisit those same ones again yeah. uh, and kind of go back through the process that's all the aba you know running through that process three times and revisiting so you know exactly what's potentially changed or, you know, reconfirming and validating your findings. Um, yeah, I completely agree on the on the steep trail thing. I think it's such a an insightful activity because so many bikes will cruise up fire roads so easily now, you know, and, and be fairly neutral, nothing, you know, untoward. But it's not until you really push them on something really unpleasant, steep and rough is, you know, it is when certain aspects of it are highlighted and it's not like you're going to ride that bike you know that's not the only climbing you're doing on that bike but it's one of those important facets that we need to explore because you know someone might be taking it to the alps where they maybe will spend a week having to claw their way up much steeper things and realize that the bike that pedaled okay at home is actually a bit of a pig when you go out and really have to crank it yeah, absolutely. And and like the, the testing we do, I guess, is um is is representative of of broader bits. So, you know, we might only do, I don't know, fifteen minutes in total, maybe more of, you know, really, really, really steep climbing. But that amount of testing that we do is is completely and fairly and totally representative of, you know, doing steep climbing for the entire duration of the bike's life because the bike performs that way and that's how it mm-hmm. performs and you're kind of encapsulating that um I, I did wonder when do you guys kind of take your notes and stuff you know what, what are you doing are you, are you banking it all for a later date or are you are you writing as you kind of go along warren uh well yeah i'd say you know um, he's let it spend it's part of my daily schedule it's kind of you know up early water dog eat breakfast get on a bike Get home. No, so I'm on a bike probably by 9.30, be home 2.33-ish. Quick shower, something to eat, then I'll write. And I'm not writing finished copy. I'm literally getting down 
kind of feelings and you know every everything that I've experienced on that bike so I don't forget especially if you're doing you know if you're doing a back-to-back test then um the worst thing to do is to try and write it all at the end where you're going right oh, was that that bike was that that bike was that and when you're getting into something like bike of the year where it can be as many as you know in the past it, for me it's been as many as like 45 50 bikes back to back you know you, you literally have to do them as you're doing them and then it's rereading and revisiting and and calibrating i always think one of the you know one of the best things to have is is a benchmark bike you know so if i own a few of them so i know if i'm testing like light, lightweight race bikes I'll, I'll be referencing it against say my my own giant tcr or you know if i'm if it's a gravel bike I'll, it'll be my gt grade which was a bike of the year winner in gravel um uh, you know so it's always about having that thing in your mind where you think that's that's what these bikes need to be achieving this is how they need to be where they need to be getting but saying that that can all go out the window when somebody does something completely new and different and radical and you sort of go oh right that's that's reset it so you know it's a constantly changing thing you know especially when you know you've been involved in it as for as long as i have which is too long now <laughs> half my life half my life literally gosh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to take notes pretty much constantly. So whether that's every lap or if I've ridden to the top of the climb and notice something, I'll just get my phone out and um, tap a few notes in because uh, my brain's at a point where I don't think I can absorb any more information or, or retain it for too long. So I have to just write everything down. Um, and then I normally then just email all my notes over and then that's almost like, you know, that just gets put into the word document to start so i can see what i've got down there and then potentially you know i think with stuff like bike of the year i've been so close to sitting down to write the four reviews and then at the last minute gone oh actually i need to go back out and you know you you end up dragging the whole process out much to um, the editor's uh, dismay and uh, making it all a bit of a last-minute thing. But, you know, sometimes it is a case of, actually, maybe I need to change this, or maybe I need to explore that. Or or you've had, you know, uh, a chat with the engineer, and they've gone, that's fine, but if you just, you know, run a bit more sag or do this or do that, and it might be something you haven't actually explored, then it's getting back out there. But, yeah, to answer your question, I write notes constantly about everything whether it's a 15 pound pair of glasses you know 20 quid pair of gloves to a you know 12 13 grand e-bike yeah totally reliant on my phone yeah i'm the same i i I take notes of things when i notice them and then what that does and i think i probably suffer from a similar problem to you rob of just not having enough brain capacity it clears it clears space in my head so that I can forget about the thing that I've just taken a note on yeah. and focus on something else. Um, and you know, it took a while for me to learn to learn that basically. And you know, I was trying to hash it all together at the end uh, in the car park or whatever. And I'm 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 just not capable. My my brain isn't big enough. <laughs> um, I do not have enough enough bandwidth in there. I've got a prime example where I'll go back through. So once I've I've emailed myself on my notes, I'll go back through them. Where I'm not scrolling through on the tiny phone screen, you can see it all in black and white right in front of you on your screen, and you can see that I've written the same thing twice, <laughs> but probably about I don't know a month apart. <laughs> hey, that's that's brilliant. That's amazing for your, for your um, for you know your it's validation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so we kind of we kind of got got to the point now where where you've tested all your bikes, you have got your notes and. But um, I, I guess that then you need to find a winner, right, or a verdict if it's just a standalone test. How, how do how do we do that? I think normally throughout that process, you you probably have one or two which are edge ahead, and obviously we're trying to look at the whole package. So it isn't purely performance; it's how much does that performance cost? You know, what are you eating? all of those sorts of things it all adds up to that overall picture. So it is just trying to take all that into account. And I think, you know, some bike tests, 
you only need you can you can ride almost like for one day and know that pretty much you've got a winner it's less like that now when i started as a freelancer doing um dan bike tests for, for example i mean yeah you pretty much could just look at the geometry and spec sheets and go okay that's probably you know assuming that it does what they say it does it's more than likely going to be the winner now i think it's way more it's just way trickier there's a lot more it's a lot more of a level playing field far closer in terms of competition um it seems it seems pretty hard to make a bad bike these days yeah and and i think like you found with bike of the year it's it's probably back to that revisiting you know making sure you're kind of looping back and doing that same stuff again because that's then potentially if you've made changes to the settings or you know you want to just check something final it, it can sometimes be that in a specific type of terrain all of a sudden you have that light bulb moment and you you know that bike doesn't necessarily stand out head and shoulders above the rest but it's just a bit better and getting to that point is a really it's a really daunting feeling i think say first day or first few days when you're riding those new bikes and they're really really tightly matched and it is just trying to follow that process as boring as that sounds you know you you've got that methodical approach you need to just kind of execute it and hopefully then you're going to get something out the other end and and you're going to have that winner it's not it's yeah. not easy though no. <laughs> it's not i guess for you was it's you know it's a similar kind of thing really trying to find your trying to find your winner yeah definitely i mean i think the thing is like you kind of you can run the risk of, of kind of almost like mission creep so if it's a comparative test then you have to judge them on the basis of that test of the parameters you set out for it because quite often you know there can be a bike in a test where it's just so full of potential you just think right if they'd have you know put a slightly nicer set of wheels on it or you know the biggest bug there is great bike cheap tires it ruins the ride and you just know that if you if that bike had come with better tires it would be so much better and it's just kind of it's getting down into that that minutiae so it, it sometimes it's kind of you'll have a bike that wins the test because it's winning it on on the overall package but you can talk about in you know in your summation of it that actually this bike has the potential to be better because when you look at the core of that bike it's so you know so much so much better so much more involved it's just things so much so much you know with, with with much more panache or, or whatever but again you have to bring it back down to 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 the parameters that you've set out for that test because if you don't but that's where madness lies because you'll just keep going around <laughs> and around and around you know um so you know uh, i i think in some in some respects you know it, that doing that single standalone test is just far much easier because then you can talk about you know if it's a price pointed bike you can go yeah this bike might be 1500 quid but if you spend another hundred pounds on a decent set of wheels it's going to perform like a two and a half three thousand pound bike it's got yeah. so much there's so much to give it's just limited by you know um by a, by a product manager's budget as it were you know so so i think um yeah i i think it probably takes me more time to write a verdict or a summation than it does to write the rest of the test because there's so many there's so many elements you've got to go through you know because even say that the bike that's the lowest performer in a in a test of four, you know, still has plenty of merit, and you know, and you don't you don't want to damn a bike with faint praise, but you also you know you also don't want to ignore um, the efforts and and the package that someone's put together just because it isn't as strong, you know, value wise or or you know or or whatever to the overall winner. You know, it's kind of like you don't you know you don't you, you don't want to ignore what's good about it as it were yeah it doesn't mean it's a bad bike no exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think yeah. it's probably worth pointing out as well we don't make any of these decisions lightly 
you know no god no. i mean no, no. you and i always talk about it al don't we i think just because you know it's especially when you get to know that there's obviously there's teams behind each bike that are super passionate it's you know it's their living their livelihood they're pushing as hard as they can doing what they think is best so it's our responsibility to exercise that due diligence to make sure we are you know jumping through all the hoops we need to jump through and doing the best possible job we can um and it's good especially when we've got dance around things that we can jump on each other's bikes and ride them at times or say you've ridden a bike that i've now got in for test i can you know call upon your experience as we were referring to earlier about the 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 dropper post test it's it's having that and and using each other because people probably won't know that we we try to peer review our reviews so we'll each go through what the other person's written and we'll you know potentially uh, it might throw up a couple of questions here and there it might add some confusion and and it's just it's really good to lean on someone else another expert in the field who can then help maybe get you thinking in a different way that you potentially you know you 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 bury your head you get it you know you get that test done they might then throw up a different question that then potentially could alter the the outcome and all being well we're doing it in a timely enough fashion that we can kind of go out and address those things which is good but yeah Back to my original point, none of these decisions, none of the scoring is ever taken lightly. And I think you'd probably both agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes goes in the same. Sorry, you go. You go. Sorry. No, I was was just um, leaning on from one of the points that Rob was making about um, the element of peer reviewing or the element of of, there can be a collaborative element. I mean, a really good example of that is the coverage that we did on um, SRAM's Explore. So, you know, the component, you know, the the drivetrain from SRAM, the the elements from RockShox that they brought to gravel and, um, you know, wheels from Zip. I mean, I, I mean, me and Rob worked really closely on that because we've got these two polar perspectives, you know, one from a mountain biker's point of view on, on that kind of explore gravel range stuff, you know, the more extreme end of gravel. And from my point of view as being a, you know, a drop bar rider. And I found that process really, you know, um, really fruitful because, um, you know, just to be able to talk to Rob about about things about the suspension, because I was just going, yeah, this feels great, but I don't know if it's good because I've got no benchmark against everything else that's out there, and and be able to describe to Rob what I was feeling and how to set it up, and you know, what to doing it right, you know, all those elements, and and it, you know, and almost the point where we almost came at it from different things, like you know, Rob's initial kind of feeling on like the dropper post was, I'm not sure you need it, and then I was talking to him about why I do need it, um. And we, we kind of, you know, we, we, you know, sort of came to an agreement. And that's because Rob's obviously got lots and lots of mountain bikes. So if he wants to go and ride that more extreme stuff, that's the bike he'd choose. Well, I'd go, well, I've only got a gravel bike. So I don't want to go and ride some really steep technical trails. I want to get a saddle out of the way. And I think it's brilliant that I can do that on my gravel bike. I don't need to, you know, go through the, the minefield of trying to choose a mountain bike for me sort of thing. And so I think that process was really good. And, you know, um, having long probably to some people very boring conversations about gear ratios on the one by thing you know because you know because obviously rob's going from the mountain bike side of things you know so so you know used to that kind of dinner plate cassettes and tiny chain rings and you know i'm going from the roadside and sort of going well actually this range that they're offering with explore it's kind of the equivalent of you know but we don't need to get into that we don't need to get down to that yeah my issue but but again i mean i think that's where where you know as a bike radar have those real strengths because we've got such a broad breadth of, of of experts you know i'll call I, you know i'll call us experts i've said that you know we've got so much to call on you know if i've got a query about a certain type of thing i i know if i can go and talk to about it i know I can, I can go and ask you know um so you know i i think that's where we are individual when we're testing things but the process of reporting becomes much more collaborative and i think that's a uh, that that is one of the one of the things that we do, and we do well. Back to that hive mind again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it, it definitely works both ways as well. You know, it, 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 it kind of focus on the criticism, but it also works in the in the way of praise. And you know, if you've said something's absolutely amazing, and everyone else is scratching their heads and is thinking, why on earth is he thinking that or she thinking that? Then you know, there's also feedback on that. And nothing gets away without being scrutinised. You know, whether that's a glowing review or an absolutely terrible review or something in the middle. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, why I like to think we all do our jobs so well. Is that you know it, it, everything is so is so carefully and, and meticulously checked and double checked and triple checked. Um, and you know, like you said, Rob, we kind of owe that to the brands and we owe it to our readers, our watchers, our listeners to really actually deliver advice that is is you know. Um, worthy, worthy, I guess, of someone spending three grand or whatever it might be on on a component, you know, because that's a huge, as was said earlier, huge amount of, of exactly, of exactly. Put yourself in their shoes, look at your own bank balance, and think about how it make you feel to part with that much cash. And if we haven't done our jobs properly, you know, we're we're kind of shortchanging those people. We're, yeah, we're you know, we're we're sending them up the creek without a paddle. So, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing gives me more sleepless nights than uh, finalising a bike test. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah brilliant. Okay, guys. Uh, I mean, you know, I think that was, um, I think that was really, really insightful. And hopefully for, you know, for our listeners that that's, that's also an interesting one. Because, um, you know, I, I don't know, I guess a lot of people don't, don't know how, how we test a bike. And maybe people have kind of preconceived perceptions of how we do it, um, and they might be bang on the money or completely off, or you know, somewhere close. Um, so hopefully, you know, listening to our our gurus, our chief testing gurus here, um, not me, obviously. Um, That's not true. <laughs> ever, uh, you know, has, has given you some insight. So thank you ever so much, Rob. Thank you, Warren. Cheers, Aaron. Great stuff. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.